Good morning, everyone. My name is Michael Santini, and our scripture reading for today is Psalm 2, verses 1 to 12. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break these chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the whole earth as your possessions. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoicing with trembling. Submit to God's royal son, or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant, but what joy for all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Grace242. Morgan and I just finished watching this fascinating documentary called The Crime of the Century. The documentary investigates the link between opiates and big pharma. And there's this one part in the documentary where you're introduced to a man named Caleb Lanier. Caleb was a computer repairman in Lubbock, Texas. In 2001, Caleb got run over by a pickup truck that ran over his right leg, his chest, and then the truck proceeded to drive off of his left shoulder. He went to see a doctor in New Mexico where she prescribed essentially whatever Caleb would ask for. He quickly became addicted to Oxycontin and Xanax, burning through his entire month's prescription in just the first four days. A doctor by the name of Andrew Kolodny appears earlier in the documentary where he compares Oxycontin to heroin pills. When we talk about drugs like Oxycodone, you're talking about drugs that are essentially heroin pills. Because of the close relationship between heroin and Oxy, as Caleb's addiction grew, he got into heroin and fentanyl. Caleb began reaching out to labs in China to get fentanyl shipped to Lubbock, where he began using and dealing. Essentially, Caleb, who started as a victim of the opiate crisis, became the kingpin of a whole drug ring in Lubbock, Texas. When Caleb's house was raided, he had 300 grams of fentanyl, and each gram would sell for $300 a piece. The DEA agents found homemade concoctions of fentanyl made by Lanier that had never been seen before in the United States. Lanier says something very intriguing in the documentary about his arrest. Here's what he says. If anything, I was relieved. Just take me to jail. I was either going to die from withdrawals or I was getting off of drugs. And I didn't care which one it was. Yeah. Caleb Lanier's drug addiction had gotten so out of hand that he almost saw prison as a refuge from his drug addiction. He saw prison as a refuge from his life of dealing and using that was eventually going to kill him. A prison or a refuge? These are the two options that Psalm 2 places on the table. Isn't it kind of fitting that Psalm number 2 presents us with two options? Here's the question that Psalm 2 asks us. How do you view King Jesus? Do you view King Jesus as a prison or do you view King Jesus as a refuge? 
a prison or a refuge. Those are the two options that Psalm 2 presents us with. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 to 3, which is the first section of Psalm chapter 2. The chapter is divided into four different sections, and each section has a different subject. And the subject of the first section of Psalm chapter 2 are the kings of the earth. And so let's look at this first section of chapter 2 and see what the kings of the earth have to say. Let's read verses 1 to 3 of Psalms chapter 2. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. In the first section of Psalm chapter 2, we're given this picture of the kings of the earth, and they're conspiring against God. And what do the kings of the earth say? What do they want to do? They say, let us break their chains and free ourselves from slavery to God. To those who oppose God, to God's enemies, to those who conspire against God and his anointed one, King Jesus, to those people, God looks like a prison. To those who oppose God and his king, God looks like a prison. There's this movement, or at least there used to be this movement, called the New Atheists. And I think the New Atheist movement has lost considerable steam over the past several years because they've been completely bowled over by a culture that's running as fast as it can off a cliff. But anyway, there's this movement called the New Atheists. And one of the most prominent members of this movement is a man by the name of Richard Dawkins, who has been one of the most prominent critics of Christianity. And in his book, The God Delusion, Richard Dawkins says this about God. Look at this quote. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. Now that sentence goes on, but I cut the quote off where I did because I wanted you to notice that last descriptor that Dawkins uses for God. Dawkins sees God as a control freak a being who wants people under his thumb, a being who just wants to control people, just wants to put people in his prison so he can have complete control over them. Here's another quote from Dawkins that's gonna help round out Dawkins's vision of who God is. Here's Dawkins in The God Delusion again. Do you really mean to tell me the only reason you try to be good is to gain God's approval and reward or to avoid his disapproval and punishment? That's not morality, that's just sucking up apple polishing, looking over your shoulder at the great surveillance camera in the sky, or the still small wiretap inside your head, monitoring your every move. Dawkins views God as a prison, a surveillance camera in the sky, a wiretap in the back of your head, one who monitors your every move, one who wants to keep you imprisoned and under his complete control. Before I move on, I gotta take Dawkins to task on something here. Dawkins says, do you really mean to tell me the only reason you try to be good is to gain God's approval and reward? Richard Dawkins, Christians don't even believe this. We can't earn God's approval. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short. We know there is nothing we can do to earn God's approval because we've all fallen short. God approves of people 
not because of what they've done, but because of what his anointed royal son, King Jesus, has done. So when God nods his head in approval at us, it's not because of anything that we've done, it is because of everything that his son, his royal anointed king, Jesus, has done. So Richard Dawkins, if you're going to argue with Christianity, at least know what Christianity states. Ugh. Okay, all right, digression over with. In Psalm 2, the kings of the earth are conspiring to break free from God, whom they view as a prison. How do you view God and his royal son, Jesus? Do you view God as a prison, or do you view him as a refuge? Now we're going to look at option two. Option one is God as a prison. And now we're going to look at option two. And option two is in section four of Psalm chapter two. And again, in section four, the subject of this section is the kings of the earth again. In the first section, we view the kings of the earth conspiring to break free from slavery to God. And now we're going to view the kings of the earth again, only this time, David, the author of Psalm 2, is going to warn the kings of the earth. Look with me at Psalm chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 10 through 12. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son, or he will become angry, and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities, for his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. David, the author of this psalm, is warning the kings of the earth that if they continue to conspire against God, that they're going to invoke his wrath. David says in verse 12, Submit to God's royal son, or he will become angry, and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities, for his anger flares up in an instant. But now look at the very last line in Psalm 2. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. Isn't it really neat that last week we're in Psalm 1 and we're landing in a place where we say, take joy in Jesus. And here we are in Psalm 2 and the very last line of the psalm says, take joy again. I think the theme of joy is written all over the psalms. But do you notice how David describes God in verse 12? He describes God as a refuge. For enemies of God, he's a prison. But for friends of God, he is a refuge. So we're back to the question. Who is Jesus for you? Is he a prison or is he a refuge? I want to look at two men in Acts chapter 4 who serve as a real life example for us because they had to live this question of Jesus as a prison or Jesus as a refuge. As you're turning to Acts chapter 4, let me set this up for you. Peter and John are in the temple courts in Acts chapter 3, and they're healing a crippled beggar. And as the crowds gather for this miracle, Peter and John quickly recognize this as an opportunity to preach the gospel and preach that Jesus is the Messiah. And so as they announce Jesus as the Messiah, this, in typical fashion, irritates the temple and religious leaders who promptly arrest Peter and John and throw them in jail for the night. And then Acts chapter 4 is the next day and Peter and John are before the court giving their defense. And so let's look at Acts chapter 4 and we'll read verses 10 to 13. Peter says, Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he, he meaning the crippled beggar that was healed, was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. 
For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Peter quotes Psalm 118 in verse 11 to make his case that Jesus is the Messiah. So here's the apostles using the Old Testament to make their case. But look at the reaction of the religious leaders in verse 13. They're amazed at Peter and John's boldness proclaiming Jesus. Remember that Peter and John have just spent the night in prison for preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And now they're before the council making their case. And what are they doing? They're proclaiming the same message that landed them in prison in the first place. I mean, you can almost laugh at this, right? Here's Peter and John. Jesus is the Messiah. Then they get put in prison, right? And then the next day, the people that threw them in prison said, all right, you two, make your case here. And they go, Jesus is the Messiah. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, of course, the council would be amazed because they're like, these guys are literally saying the same thing today that landed them in prison yesterday. <laughs> to Caleb Lanier, prison was a refuge. To Peter and John who landed in prison, Jesus is a refuge. They landed in prison because they were teaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And when it came time to make their case, they took refuge in Jesus, knowing that they had to preach that he is the Messiah. They had boldness. The council leaders were amazed at their boldness because those guys have refuge in Jesus. They know that in preaching his name, they're serving the king of the world. Peter and John continue to make their case to the courts that Jesus is the Messiah, and the courts just flat out don't have any evidence. They've got nothing on Peter and John. So the courts warn Peter and John never to teach this again. Let's look at Acts 4, verses 18 to 20. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The court wags its finger at Peter and John and says, Now don't you ever do this again. And what's Peter's response in verse 19? Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? The apostles must obey Jesus because he's God's royal son, the anointed king. Not men. Look back at David's warning in Psalm chapter 2, verses 11 to 12a. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities for his anger flares up in an instant. Peter and John are heeding David's warning in Psalm chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 because they are submitting to God's royal son Jesus. In the choice between obeying God and obeying people Peter and John choose obeying God, submitting to his son, preaching that he is indeed God's royal son, is the Messiah. Eventually the courts have to let Peter and John go because they've got nothing on them. And so Peter and John are freed and they go back to the believing community where they celebrate and rejoice in everything that God has done. But look at how the believing community interprets all of these events. They're going to interpret everything through the Psalms. Let's read Acts 4 
and we'll read verses 25 to 27. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. The believers quote Psalm 2, verses 1 to 2, in Acts 4, verses 25 to 26. The believers are looking at this conspiracy of the earthly kings in Psalm chapter 2. They're looking at the conspiracy of the earthly kings against God and his anointed royal son, Jesus. And they're seeing that, they're seeing that fulfilled in Pilate, Herod Antipas, the Gentiles, the Israelite people, and everyone who put Jesus on the cross. They're seeing the conspiracy against God and his royal son in Psalm 2 as fulfilled in everyone that put Jesus on the cross. Look with me at Acts 4 and we'll start reading at verse 28 and we'll just finish out the chapter through 31. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. The believers pray for boldness from God and God sends his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers them with the very boldness that they ask for. Why do they pray for boldness? Because King Jesus is a refuge to these believers. They know that the message of Jesus as the Messiah is going to fall upon hostile ears. They know that they're going to go out to preach this message in hostile territory. And so they run to Jesus as a refuge, knowing that they can rest in him, that they can be protected in him as they go forward with this message that is sure to rattle the culture. It is in the safety, in the protection, in the refuge of King Jesus that these believers venture forth. Like David warns in Psalm 2, verses 11 and 12, serve the Lord with reverent fear, rejoice with trembling, submit to God's royal son. Well, these believers, they do all three because they take refuge in King Jesus. Look with me at Psalm 2, verse 6. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. God has placed his king on the throne. And that man is King Jesus. Is the king a prison or is he a refuge? Do you view Jesus as a prison like Richard Dawkins? Or do you view Jesus as a refuge like Peter and John and the believers? Which one will you choose?